Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. Today we're going to talk about uh, the mysteries of the kingdom. Uh, fun fact about uh, our newest grandson. This is uh, Samuel Sibbs Gelbrath. He's uh, eight weeks old, nine weeks old. Uh, interesting fact about little Samuel, okay? He was born, uh, oh, I hit the wrong button. Here we go. He was born in California, but even though they're still going to let him become a citizen of the United States, okay? That was a joke there. But because his father is uh, from Northern Ireland, which, as we all know, is part of the U.K., he gets to also become a citizen of the U.K. But because Northern Ireland is on that big island that we call Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, who thinks they should own Northern Ireland... They want him to be a citizen of Ireland. So this little guy can have a U.S. passport, he can have a U.K. passport, and he can also have an Irish passport. But that Irish passport also lets him become a member of the European uh, Union. So he gets to travel all over Europe under that passport, and uh, he can go to France and Germany and Spain and Italy and Greece and all those places. And so this little guy, I, I've heard of dual citizenship. I don't know what this guy is, uh, quad citizenship. But here's the deal. You know what? I'm only a citizen of the United States, but I'm a dual citizen. You might only be a citizen of the United States or some other country, but if you've trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you are a dual citizen. Philippians 3.20, a verse every one of us should know, our citizenship is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. What we're going to do today is to talk about how to be better citizens of heaven. It's important to be a good citizen of the United States or the UK or Ireland or whichever country you're from. It's very important to be a good citizen of heaven. Now, we've been walking through Matthew, and uh, just give you a little bit of a warning here today. We're going to cover a lot of content it's going to be a lot of teaching, but I can guarantee you, I think it's worth it. It really is worth it. So I'm going to really encourage you to engage today and track with the message. We've been walking through the book of Matthew, okay? And basically what we've seen is that Matthew has been answering a couple of questions. And those questions are, was Jesus really the king? Because, you know, he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was the king, come to bring the kingdom. But instead of putting him on a throne, they put him on a cross, and he went back to heaven. So was he really the king? Matthew was writing this book of Matthew to ensure 
that believers knew he really was the king. He really was the Messiah. And he's also answering the question of what happened to the kingdom? John the Baptist said it. Jesus said it. Jesus had his disciples say it. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If Jesus was the king and the kingdom was just right there at hand, what happened? Where'd the kingdom go? Did we miss it? Did God just change his mind? What's going to happen with the kingdom? Well, in that story, we've seen Jesus rejected, as Matthew tells it. That was what chapter 12 was all about. And what we see today in chapter 13, we're seeing Jesus basically answer the question, how does the rejection of Jesus impact the kingdom? And what we're going to see is that Jesus is revealing what he calls the mysteries of the kingdom. You know, we see that word mystery and, and it's like, oh, okay, is this kind of Halloween, ghostly, spooky? Is that what it's talking about? No. In the Bible, you can check this out, almost every time the word mystery appears, it basically is just reveal, uh, referring to some truth that has always existed, but it was unknown. They, they didn't know about it, and then we're finding out about it. That's what we're going to see today. It's like this stuff was all plan A from God's perspective, but they were just now finding out what plan A really was. Now, let me say this, too. For those of you that have studied prophecy and, and all that, Matthew 13 is really an important passage. I mean, usually when I teach prophecy, I'll, I'll talk a lot about Daniel, I'll talk a lot about Matthew 24, I'll talk a lot about 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, and of course you got to get into Revelation. I mean, those are like the primary major passages. If we would spend just a little bit more time, you know what the next passage we would go to? Matthew 13. For those of you that are into prophecy and would want to know more about it, I mean, this is a passage of Scripture that you really ought to understand and know. I mean, this is crucial in the unfolding of God's truth about what he's going to do. So let me just start at the beginning. I'm going to take here about seven minutes to kind of hopefully set the context, and then we're going to look at what actually is in Matthew 13, okay? Now, in the Old Testament, this is kind of a timeline, they were always looking forward to the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. And this is the way they thought time was going to work out. The Messiah would come and there would be a kingdom. And, you know, just a casual reading of the Old Testament would have led you to believe that. It's like, that's what it seems like it is. And there was these obscure passages like Isaiah 53 and some other passages that, that kind of seemed to complicate it. But just about everyone said, okay, Messiah's going to come and we're going to have the kingdom. Uh, we'll, you know, in Jesus' day, we wish Messiah would come so we could kick these Romans out of here and we could have our nation back. And we could do to them what they've been doing to us. That's the way they thought, that's the way they assumed history was going to unfold. 
But we've got 2,000 years of, expe- of, of uh, perspective, and we also have the New Testament that was written for us by Jesus' disciples, and so now we actually know a little bit more. Here's what actually happened. We understand that the Messiah came, but because we've read the rest of the book of Matthew and Luke and Mark and John and the whole New Testament, we know that rather than putting Jesus on a throne and them starting a kingdom, they instead put him on a cross, and Jesus died for the sins of all humankind. And then he rose from the dead, and 40 days later, he went back to heaven. And you remember what the, if you, those of you that were in David's class this morning, remember what the question was that the disciples asked right before he went back to heaven? Is it now that you're going to give us the kingdom? When are you going to give us the kingdom? And Jesus said, hey, it ain't any of your business. You're not supposed to know. You're supposed to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way to the uttermost parts of the earth. I'm out of here. And then two verses later, he goes back to heaven. And with the promise that I'll come back, and that's when we'll start the kingdom. That's what really happened. This is what they thought was going to happen, but this is what really happened. And guess what this middle section is called? We call that the inter-advent age. An advent comes from the Latin. It's a coming. This is Jesus' first advent that we're about to celebrate, Christmas. His second advent is the second coming of Christ, and that's when the kingdom occurs. They didn't know this in the Old Testament. I suppose if they had really read it closely, they could have seen it and figured it out. And We can go back and look at the Old Testament now, and it's like, well, that makes total sense. But they didn't know that. They were thinking this is the way history was going to work out. They thought it was just going to be he comes, there's going to be a kingdom. But in reality, Jesus said, no, they're going to reject me. And in that rejection, I'm going to accomplish something that is very, very important your salvation. But the kingdom is delayed, and I'll come again, and that's when the kingdom comes. And so here we are in this inter-advent age, and we got the big question of, well, what do we do now? That's what Matthew 13 answers. These parables that we actually looked at the first one last week, the sower and the seed, these parables tell us how you function in this inter-Advent age. Now, just to finish the, the little graph before we get back into, go back to the text, one of the things we're going to learn is that this inter-Advent age, it ends with a judgment. It ends with a, 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 a time of sorting and the righteous go into the kingdom and the unrighteous, where do they go? They go where bodies rot and the vultures eat them. Luke 17, verse 20, 39. 
when Jesus was talking about this judgment in Matthew 24, which we'll see in a couple of uh, months next spring, Jesus says, hey, there's going to be two people in a bed. One's going to be taken, the other's left. One's going to be taken to where the bodies rot and the vultures eat them, and the other gets to go into the kingdom. Two people are going to be out in the field. One's going to be taken. Where's that one taken to? Where the bodies rot and the vultures eat them. And the other one gets to go into the kingdom. There's a judgment at the end of this inner advent age. What do we always normally call it? Well, sometimes we call it the tribulation. Sometimes we call it the 70th week of Daniel. But in this passage, we're going to see that it's like a judgment. Some of you are really into this and you're saying, okay, you got to answer one more question. And that is, how does the church fit into all this? Well, okay, you know me. I went to Dallas Seminary. I'm a pre-tribber. Here's how it fits in. And this is, this is what Paul would have taught if he was had to speak today. He would say that the church is, is, it's not mentioned here in Matthew 13, but this is something I learned in seminary. Matthew 16 comes after Matthew 13. So you got Matthew 13. They didn't know about the church. Jesus introduces the concept of the church in Matthew 16, six months later, because they can't give him too much information all at once. And Jesus said, when Peter finally said, hey, who do you guys think I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus finally say now that these guys are all on board about who he is? His, he, is? he says, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to uh, prevail against it. What's the church? The church is Jews and Gentiles like Richard, who have come to faith and trust and belief in the fact that Jesus really was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But one of the things we learn from other passages of Scripture, and it's sermons for another day, I think that church is going to get raptured out before that tribulation, before that time of judgment. But anyway, so what we're talking about is how to live successfully in this inner advent age. And what Jesus does is he tells these parables that are in Matthew 13. Parables that I'm sure you're very familiar with, but you may not have fully put them into this context that they fit into in the book of Matthew as it unfolds. But it just makes so much more sense. And so what I want to do is I want to step through real quickly several of these uh, parables, these stories, or as uh, Connie reminded me last week, these earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Maybe you heard that uh, uh, in Sunday school when you were a kid, if you had the privilege of getting to go to Sunday school. Uh, the truths that come out of them are primarily designed to help us understand and know how to live now in between the two comings of Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through a couple of these parables. And then at the end, I want to just summarize a few things there that I think are great takeaways. So look at that. Look at the, the passage. Okay, last week we, we looked at that one of the sower and the seed. And basically, if you, if you remember, he was saying, your heart 
needs to be open to the Word of God. This is going to be a tough time, I mean, because, I mean, my goodness, these people are rejecting Jesus. These people are saying everything about Jesus is of the devil, Matthew 12. And he's saying the way you're going to make it is by having a heart that is open and receptive to God's truth. That was the parable of the sower and the seed. We'll look at verse 24. Matthew 13, verse 24. This is the, the wheat and the tares. This is all new stuff. They, they wouldn't have known it. it. We look at it and say, of course it happened that way. It's because we're looking back on it for 2,000 years. This was brand new information to Peter, James, and John and the rest. They didn't know it was going to work this way. They thought Messiah was going to come, boom, kingdom. And what Jesus says here is a parable. He presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven, it might be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, his enemy came along and sowed tares among the wheat. And they went away. So it's like this guy put out a whole bunch of wheat and then one of his competitors, his enemy, someone that was, uh, didn't want him to succeed, came and sowed a bunch of weeds out there. And these particular weeds, these tares, they look just like wheat until they got to full bloom and then you realize, oh, and so it's like the whole thing was going to be lost because here's this wheat and here's this weed and how are we going to get it sorted out? Verse 26, well, when the wheat sprang up and bore a grain, well, the tares became evident. And the slaves of the landowner says, well, what are we going to do, sir? Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then is it gonna, does it have all these tares? And he said, well, let me tell you, an enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, well, do you want us to go through and gather them up? And he said, no, lest while you are gathering up the tares, you might root up the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest or the judgment. And in that time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, bind them in bundles, and burn them up. But gather up the wheat and put it in my barn. Remember I talked about how this inner Advent age is going to end with a time of harvest a time of judgment and notice the weeds the tares are going to be gathered up and removed and burned and the wheat is going to be used and furthered that was new to them now they always knew there's a judgment at the end of it but we always thought that you know just there's a judgment they thought the Messiah was going to come, boom, kingdom. And they found out Messiah came and Messiah got killed. They're going to find that out later. Messiah goes back to heaven. And now it's like weeds and wheat. But at the end of that time, at the end of this parenthesis, if you will, weeds and wheat are growing up. Boy, we could do a lot of analogy on that. I mean, we always think, okay, here's this person that looks so good, so religious, so whatever. I mean, here's the application question. Are you wheat 
are you a weed? Because it's hard to tell. How does a person become wheat? It's through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's the righteousness of Christ that we need, which is only gained through justification by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. I mean, this is one of the tragedies of Western civilization is that so many people look like wonderful Christian people, but in reality, they're terrors. They've, they've somehow convinced themselves and others that they're right with God. In another passage, Jesus was talking about this, and he said, people are going to come to me, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord. And what's Jesus going to say? Get out of here. I don't know you. I mean, that is a sobering, sobering thought. You know, because I'm a preacher and because I'm a pastor and I'm in lots of church gatherings, my opportunities to be about in just normal gatherings like y'all a lot of times, they're not... I don't know, they're, they're just, to me they're unique. And when I go to a football game, when I go to some performance and I'm there with the masses, uh, you know, we've been doing the Nutcracker this weekend when I'm there and I look out in that audience and, you know, there's a lot of people there. One of the thoughts that passed through my head, you know, because Texarkana is so Christian, so religious. I mean, you know, there's like 10 million people that are members of the church, even though, you know, there's only 60,000 people that live here. Everyone's got about 10 church memberships. There's kind of like my grandson with all of his uh, citizenships. You know, everyone's a citizen of this church and this church. And it's like we got five or six church memberships just to make us look good. But I, one of the things I always wonder about is, here's our community. And everyone looks good. They clean up nice. They, for the most part, they seem like they're good, conservative, patriotic citizens of the United States, wonderful Christian people. And I wonder, how many are tares? How many have really come to the place in their life when they've had a relationship with Jesus Christ that is built on faith alone in what he did? And I just got to stop and ask right now. I mean, you're here at church. Is that the basis of your faith? The work of Jesus Christ? Are you a wheat or are you a weed? You don't know the answer to that question. You dare not leave today until you find out about how to become a wheat, to accept the free gift of God that is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Well, that's one of the parables he told. Look down at uh, verse 31. Here's another one. And you've seen these. You, you probably know them. He presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this, smaller, and this is smaller than all the other seeds, but when it is fully grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Verse 33, he spoke another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, yeast which a woman takes and puts in her, her dough in the pecks of meal 
until it is all leavened up. You know, what's Jesus saying there? He's saying that this thing, it may look, remember, these, these, he's, he's supplying information here in light of the fact that he's being rejected. He's saying this thing is going to grow like crazy. It's going to be like, like yeast that just permeates a lump of dough. It's going to be like that little small seed that is going to grow into a huge plant. Maybe he told this because he didn't want us to get discouraged. He didn't want Peter, James, and John to get discouraged. Hey, they're going to crucify me, but, but, but I've got a plan that this kingdom is going to be prepared for through a flourishing. You know, one of the things just to comment on, on where we are. Okay, here in Western civilization in the West, Christianity seems to be dying. Let's be honest about it. It seems to be dying in Europe and in North America. But you go to places like China, it's growing like crazy. Why? Because the Word of God does not return void. I mean, Satan is working like crazy to keep it from growing here and feeding us with a culture that is just doing everything to discount the power and authority of God. But there's power in the authority of God, in the Word of God. And it permeates. Is it permeating your soul? Is it changing your life so that you can be used as wheat or as yeast to permeate and change someone else's life? Let's look at another parable. The... the the, the hidden treasure and the pearl. Go over to uh, uh, verse 44. We're just skipping through it. The kingdom of heaven, it's like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold everything that he had and bought it. Well, it's kind of obvious what the point is there. Guys, this thing we're pursuing, the world may be rejecting it. Here in about a year, they're going to crucify me down there in Jerusalem. But I want you to understand this is the pearl of great price, this is the hidden treasure. This, this is, this is that, that pot of gold that was buried five generations ago. And now he's hoping that one of his descendants will, will read the little treasure map and find it. And one of them did. But he found out that now his family doesn't even own it. And he can't go digging on it. So what does he do? He goes and spends all he needs to so he can buy that lot and dig it up and get the, the buried treasure. Folks, do you recognize that the, the things we talk about here on Sunday mornings, the things we talk about in small groups, the, 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 the Bible teaching podcasts that you might listen to, or websites that you go and look at, do you understand that they are telling you about the most important, valuable thing on the face of the earth? It is the pearl of great price. I mean, in Jesus' uh, parable there, he talks about this merchant that sails the seas 
looking for that one pearl. And when he sees it and he finds it, man, he, he sells everything so that he can obtain that. Is that the way your relationship with Jesus Christ is like? Is that the way you view this, this thing? Or is church just kind of a, a hobby? Is this relationship with Jesus Christ just kind of a, a thing? You know, we, we, Sunday morning, but, you know, from noon on Sunday till, you know, late Saturday night, it's irrelevant. Why? No. This thing ought to be like yeast that permeates every bit of your life and totally impacts how you work, how you relate, how you spend, how you relax, everything. Folks, we have the pearl of great price. Those of us that are parents or grandparents who, who have kids that are growing up and they've come to know Jesus Christ, do your kids know this is it? You've arrived. You've found it. You may be seven years old, but if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as personal Savior, you found the pearl of great price, and you now have the privilege of spending the next 80 years of your life helping other people find the pearl of great price? Or is their relationship with Christ in our eyes as parents or grandparents? It's just something we checked off. Oh, good. He trusted Christ. Let's get him baptized because we got, we got soccer. We got college. We got a career. We got, you know, I want to help him get going on his retirement because now that I'm in retirement age, I, want to, I know how important it is to save early on. I mean, how do you view your, your, your kids' relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you, do you just, by the way you live your life and the conversations you have with them, are you telling them, folks, this is it? Kids, nothing measures up to the value of a relationship with Christ, the kingdom of heaven, that citizenship in heaven. One more parable, and then I'm going to wrap it up. Look at verse 47. Again, and we've not looked at all of them. He tells eight parables in this story, okay? Eight parables. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind. We may not be familiar with this analogy, but, but in the olden days, fishermen, and they still do it in, in commercial fishing, they would have these huge nets they would go for, you know, you know, 100 yards, 200 yards, 300 yards, and they'd cast them out, and they'd let them sink, and then they threw a series of, of several boats together. They'd pull that net up, and they'd catch everything that had swam into that net. That's what a dragnet is. And when it was filled, they threw it up on the beach, and they sat down because they caught everything. And they gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it'll be at the end of this age. The angels shall come forth and take out the wicked. Notice, the wicked are going to be removed from among the righteous, and they will be cast into a furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You get the gist. There's judgment. I mean, at least two of these parables, directly, their primary point is there's a judgment 
There is a final exam at the end of this, and it's pass or fail. It's actually in or out, and it's all based upon a faith-based relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verse uh, 51. I wish the disciples had been honest, but they uh, said they knew it. Have you understood all these things? Well, maybe they did understand them because Jesus was their teacher, but I'm pretty sure most of us would say, nope, can you keep talking because we want to know a lot more. But they said, yeah, we got it. Then he goes on and tells even another parable. What do you do with all this? What's the so what? Let me just quickly give you five of them and then we'll be done. Here's the first one already emphasized it a bunch. Folks, there is a judgment. There is a time of reckoning when every human being will stand before Almighty God. And the basis is, first and foremost, their relationship with Jesus Christ. Does it exist? Is there a relationship with Jesus Christ? You might be here today, and the answer is yes. Man, praise the Lord. But let's be honest with ourselves. Those of us that have that relationship with Christ, there are a lot of people in our life that do not have that. There's people maybe in your own home that do not have that relationship with Christ. There's people that you're going to work with tomorrow that do not have that relationship with Jesus Christ. You and I, as we walk through life, we need to have a, a filter in our vision that, that recognizes where people are with Christ. Not so we can be judgmental, but so that we can recognize this is a person that needs to still trust Jesus Christ. And, and how can I point them to the Savior? I mean, it might be that I never say a word to them, but just by the demeanor that I have, the actions that I have, the integrity that I show, I'm demonstrating to them what a Christ-like follower is. There is a judgment, and we ought never to forget that. Let me tell you something else. There are tares. There are tares. And, and we need to be aware of that. That's why we, you know, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Be sober and vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whoever he wants to devour. I mean, just because someone names the name of Jesus Christ or, you know, purports to be religious or, you know, boy, they're really good folks. There's a lot of really good folks out there, honestly, that are still on the highway to hell. We're not saved by faith, or we're not saved by works, by being good. There's so many folks that, that, that I think, you know, just seem to be deceived by the God of this world. And we need to recognize that so that we can go share with them, so that we can rightfully or in the proper way be be aware of them, be wary of them. I mean, a lot of false teachers. In the class this morning, David asked the question, you know, I wonder how much of the New Testament 
was written to help the people be aware of false teachers. I don't know what the percentage is, but the answer is a lot, okay? There's a lot of the instructions in the New Testament that are right there helping us to beware of the tares who are seeking to evangelize to their side. One more, the kingdom of heaven is worth it. Kingdom of heaven is worth it, and, and Christ is building his kingdom. We may not always see it, but I honestly think that one of Satan's primary strategies is to keep us from seeing it. Because what, what's the best thing Satan could do? It is to, to neutralize us. It is to discourage us. It is to get us numb so that we're, we're just not in. Because we feel like we're, you know, 50 to 0. I mean, why even go out for the fourth quarter? We're losing. I mean, no. Jesus said, I know the end of the story. I know what the, the scoreboard says at the end of the game. And he calls us to a life of faithfulness. One more thing. You're never going to fully know what that success is. And success is really kingdom impact living. You're not going to know that until the very end. You know, I think sometimes with all the stuff, the fallout over the last many years, you know, a lot of us as believers were discouraged. We're, di we're discouraged particularly about spiritual things, our relationship with Christ, our, you know, the, the, there's just so much antagonism out there towards spiritual things, towards biblical truth, and it's like we're just seeing things slip away. It's like it's just trickling through our fingers, and it's so easy for us to get discouraged, and it's like, man, have I invested my life? You know, I sold everything to buy this plot of ground. Is there really a buried treasure underneath there? And the answer is yes. And the success, the faithfulness that, is, that God rewards, you're not, sometimes not going to see it till the end of life. You know, you look at the heroes of the faith, the ones in the Bible as well as the ones throughout the last 2,000 years of church history. Many of them, in fact, I would say that most of them, the majority of them, died discouraged people. Satan is gunning for you. He's gunning for me. He does not want us to feel great about spiritual things. Why? Because we are God's weapon. We're, we're, we're Holy Spirit-empowered people that are out there being the yeast that's supposed to permeate the dough. And we've got the pearl of great price in our pocket. And we're sometimes wondering if the pennies in the other pocket are more valuable. Satan is gunning for you. But Jesus Christ is building his kingdom. He's building his kingdom. And one of these days, he will come. He will come. And that kingdom will be established, just like the Old Testament people thought. And right now, he has called us as his church to be faithful to him. Are you faithful? Are you encouraged 
Where are you on that spectrum? Be encouraged. Be faithful. Because God is in the process of building his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that today we would be encouraged people. Father, I pray that if there's someone here that does not know Jesus Christ, I pray that uh, they would come to know him. They would recognize that he is the pearl of great price. He is that, that hidden treasure that needs to be sought for and uh, worth it all. But Father, for those of us that have it, that have that relationship with Christ, I pray, Father, that you would use today to uh, inspire us to follow him so, so closely. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.